This is Citrin Cooperman's Taxes in 10, the International Tax Practice. Uh, my name is Leon Dukowitz. I'm here with Connor Southwell. We're going to discuss pre-immigration tax planning when moving to the U.S. Hey, Connor, how are you? Good. How are you, Leon? Thanks for the introduction. Doing well. So let's talk about some, some pre-immigration tax planning today. So what do we want to, what are we thinking about here when, you know, when moving to the U.S.? What are things to think about? What types of planning do we typically look at for pre-immigration? So typically when we have uh, someone who's a foreign national coming to the U.S., we want to broadly consider three different points. I mean, obviously, I think the most important thing is the uh, income tax implications of that person moving here. Um, we'll get into this, but, you know, significantly uh, wider base of federal income tax for a resident alien than a non-resident. We also want to think about state and local tax issues, although that's not necessarily an international uh, tax issue per se, but obviously depending on where the foreign national decides to go, that could be significant. Uh, finally, we want to think about state and gift tax issues, and the, the relevance of those will really depend on how long uh, the foreign national is going to be in the U.S. and the purpose for which they're in the U.S. So talk to me a little bit about residency. What's the difference between resident alien, and non-resident alien, and why is it important? Sure. So broadly speaking, when we, when we refer to an alien in tax parlance, all that means is a non-citizen, so a foreign national. Uh, a resident alien is someone who we treat as a resident either under a substantial presence test or by virtue of having a green card. A non-resident alien is someone who doesn't meet either of those two tests and obviously is not a citizen. In terms of um, you know, the significance from an income tax standpoint, as I said, resident aliens are taxed pretty much the same way that a citizen would be. So that's income taxation on worldwide income in addition to a whole host of um, you know, international information reporting obligations, FBARs, things like that. Whereas non-resident aliens, they're really only taxed on certain items of, um, we call it fixed determinable annual or periodic FDAP income or income that's effectively connected with their US trade or business. And for the most part, you know, their, their information reporting obligations are significantly less than a resident alien. So tell me a little bit about the, the, the number of days and the two parts of the testing you know, for, for residency, if you will. Yeah, so as I mentioned, the, there's two tests, essentially, green card or substantial presence. A green card, you either have it or you don't. Uh, once you have it, you're going to be a resident alien. The substantial presence test is a bit more tricky. Um, there's two prongs to the test. So as a preliminary matter, you have to be in the U.S. for at least 31 days, consecutive or non-consecutive, during the current year. In addition, you need to be here for 183 days during the current year and the preceding two years. But the way we count that is a little bit tricky. Uh, so we'll count every day in the current year. So if we were applying this test for 2022, we'd count every day that the foreign national was here during this, this year. We'd count a third of the days in the preceding year. So that'd be 2021. And a sixth of the days in the second preceding year. So that would be 2020. If the sum of those numbers adds up to 183 or more, and you've been here for 31 days, you're going to be treated as a U.S. tax resident as of the first day you were here during the test year. So I think that's an important distinction to make is that you're not just treated as a resident when you meet the test. It's the first day that you were physically here during the year that the test is met. So, so 
you can actually be considered resident even though you're not here 183 days in one given year in the current year. But clearly, if you are 183 in the current year, you would be considered resident. But you know, this look back in a substantial presence really could be an onerous calculation and not something that most people are going to be thinking about on their way in unless they're planning and, and, and really considering you know, our rules, if you will, because they're quite different than other countries. So yeah, ab absolutely. And I, I think one thing I hear a lot is that people say, if you're here for 121 days or less on a year to year basis, you're good. You're not going to meet the substantial presence test. And while mathematically that's true, if you take the weighted average of those three years and you're here for 120 days each year, you're never going to meet it. But in practice, that's that's a hard thing to do, you know, in terms of planning your life around you know, how, how many days you can be here. If you have to be here for economic reasons, obviously sometimes that takes precedent and you're gonna go over. So talk to me about uh, what your thoughts on how it differs from uh, a lot of other countries or I'll say the rest of the world because it seems like a very different set of rules. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we I think our substantial presence test is unique. There are a lot of countries that do apply a day count kind of as the sole metric. So generally, they'll look at whether you've been in that country for six months or more during the test year, which is roughly 183 days. There are a handful of other countries, though, that that do look at, um, you know, I'll call it facts and circumstances in addition to day count. So Canada, for example, the UK, they have a number of tests that look at things like where your family is based, um, whether you have a home in that country, how many days you spend there versus the rest of the world. Um, but yeah, you're right. The U.S. is unique in that we apply just a mechanical test, uh, for lack of a better term. But the way it's applied, as I said, is a bit uh, tricky. So why is it so important for a foreign national to determine his or, his or her U.S. residency? What, what's the, the big issue? Why is it so important? So again, primarily, we want to know what the tax base is going to be. If you're a resident alien, you're paying income tax on all of your income, regardless of where it was earned. If you're not a resident, you only really need to worry about U.S. source items. Um, as I mentioned too, it's important to determine, to determine when you became a U.S. resident because we wanna be sure that we're picking up the correct tax for that entire period. So again, it's not just when you meet the test, it's the first day that you're here during the year that the test is met. Um, from an estate tax perspective, the, the determination is a bit different in terms of residency, but we also wanna know you know, what the base would be if you were to pass away while you were domiciled in the U.S. So with that said, is there ways to plan around this before you come? If you're, you know, coming from a country or immigrating from a country that has uh, a tax treaty with the U.S.? Yeah, absolutely. So tax treaties are integral in, in the work that we do, particularly with respect to pre-immigration planning. I think the first place we'll look in a tax treaty in the year that someone becomes a resident is typically article four so it's the tiebreaker rules and those rules apply um, basically where the u.s treats you as a resident under our internal law so the substantial presence test specifically and the country that you're coming from also treats you as a resident under their internal law um, obviously you can't be a resident in two places for tax purposes because you'll be you're going to be taxed twice on all your income so what the tiebreaker rules try to do is to assign a single country of residence for purposes of the treaty. And as we know, uh, 
in most places, the code is superseded by obligations that the U.S. enters into through treaties. So if we apply these rules to someone who's a dual resident, what we do is we look at first where they have a primary home or their permanent home. If that's inconclusive or say they have a home in two countries or more, we look at where their center of vital interest is strongest. And that's really a, a facts and circumstances based analysis. You know, things like where your family's located, where you're registered to vote, where you have a driver's license. Um, in some cases, that too is inconclusive. So we'll look at where you have a habitual abode. So where you stay most of the time. Um, after that, we look at where they are national. So Connor, why, why do we want to look, what's the importance of proactive planning here? Why so important on the way in when people are coming? I think there's a lot of things that uh, foreign nationals don't realize about the US tax system with respect to how broad it is. Um, one of the things we typically see is that people are surprised when they come in and they sell an appreciated asset and the US wants to tax them on all the gain that appreciated even during the period where, they're, where they weren't a resident. So we really want to minimize things like that. And there's a number of things we can do. We also want to make these people aware of the reporting obligations that they're going to have with respect to their foreign assets and see if it makes sense to do some prospective planning before they come here to minimize the impact of both the tax rules and the reporting obligations. Is there any traps we should be thinking about or anything for the unwary here? Yeah, absolutely. There's tons of them. Um, so I think the first one we touched on is the, the no basis step up rule. Again, that comes as a shock to a lot of people because, you know, why would the U.S. have the right to tax you on income that was accrued in an investment before you came here? They do, unfortunately. Um, failing to understand our controlled foreign corporation rules is another big surprise or a trap because there's not a lot of countries that actually have those rules. Um, Similarly, PFIC rules, you know, those rules were passed decades ago, and they're really meant as a punitive measure to discourage people from investing in foreign mutual funds. So if you come here and you have a portfolio filled with mutual funds offered by foreign banks, you're going to be subject to a lot of extra reporting. So we want to see, again, what we can do to minimize that. So as folks are coming here to, to live, go to children, go to school, establish a new life, you know, clearly uh, planning and pre-immigration tax planning are very important. So thank you, Connor, for your time. Appreciate your, the discussion today. This has been Taxes in 10, International Tax Practice Section. Leon Dukwitz on behalf of Citroen Cooperman and Connor Southwell, have a great day. Thank you.